centuries before the rise of the empire, prosperity, pioneering, and adventure marked the era of the High Republic. Vernestra Rowe is the gifted Miri Allen Padawan of Jedi Master Stellan Geos. Her connection to the Force and her skills with the lightsaber are exemplary. At just 15 years old, Vern passed her Jedi trials and became one of the youngest Jedi Knights in the history of the Republic. Vern may be young and inexperienced, but the Jedi Council sees great promise while accompanying delegates to the Starlight Beacon launch ceremony. A great disaster strikes, and Vern steps up to take command on her very first mission. This era is one of adventure and exploration for the Jedi, as they work to protect the Republic and illuminate the darkest corners of the galaxy with the light of the Force. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode 414, A Test of Courage. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Carl LeClaire, and with me in this week's episode, first time ever on the show, but longtime friend here in Boston, it's the great friend of us all, Ben Brophy at Zen Kenobi. Hey, Ben. Hey, Carl. It's great to be on. Uh, I'm embarrassed that we've been such close friends for so long, you, me, and Greg, and Greg's obviously been on the show a dozen times, and you've been on once. <laughs> I feel so bad. <laughs> um, but I'm so glad to finally get you on, and I'm excited to talk about this incredible High Republic book, A Test of Courage. Um, and obviously it's a middle grade book that I had really low expectations for, and it blew my mm-hmm. mind, Ben. Um, same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was able to read a copy of it, um, early and I kind of wasn't expecting much. It was the the first high Republic book that I read. Um, I actually thought it was a really excellent intro to, to the whole series. Yeah, that's right. Cause you, you borrowed that copy from, from Greg, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, Um, cause yeah, I remember cause he offered, after you had finished, he was like, Oh, do you want to take them? And I was like, Oh, I'll just do the end of the dark one. I'm not interested in the, the middle grade book. And obviously you had loved it. Greg had loved it. And then when light of the Jedi came out and we all loved that, I was like, I need to read this now. And while it's, you know, I made this comparison when Greg was on talking about light of the Jedi. And I kind of stand by this, that I I've been rereading a lot of star Wars legends books, you know, old, old Canon mm-hmm. EU. And the writing style, for the most part, isn't that great. And what's so funny is reading Tests of Courage, which is written by Justina Ireland, um, while it's clearly written for a younger audience, um, obviously the font is big. It's not a you know 500-page book. Um, it still reads better than even like the adult old canon, in my opinion. Like it's just really well written. Um, and I think both her 
and uh, Claudia Claudia Gray do an incredibly good job of writing characters. I got um, just at, at Celebration, I got Justina Ireland's uh, what novel, uh, Dread Nation, which mm. is kind of about uh, alternate story of the Civil War with with zombies. Um, it's amazing. It's a it's a I guess YA YA novel, but like really fan like you know it's it's one of those ones where you kind of, you wouldn't know. I don't know the difference sometimes, like <laughs> YA versus adult, because it was just so good uh, and didn't shy away from tough topics. So I, I think that's true here, too. Yeah, this I mean, I, I feel like a test of courage is also a tale of grief, you know, um, and I'm not talking grief, Karga. I'm talking, <laughs> you know, grief as in mourning, sadness and loss and um, before we start going into those details, obviously I, I want to be sure to do this before I forget spoiler warning ahead. Ben and I are going to talk about the ins and outs of this book. Um, I, I, we're not here to do a book report, so we're not going to necessarily retell the story, but obviously spoilers ahead. We're going to talk about, you know, the character arcs, uh, the big things that happen throughout this story. So if you've not read the book and you want to read the book without being spoiled, I suggest turning it off now and coming back when you finished, if you've not read it and don't plan to, you just want to hear a conversation about it, feel free to stick around. Um, I, I, I just, the high Republic has all three books so far, this light of the Jedi and into the dark have blown my mind. Like I, I love this era. I love what it's doing with their world building. But Ben, what interests me the most before, we, before we start diving into the ins and outs of the, the book itself um, cause folks don't really know you because you've never been on the show, but you are not particularly a, the biggest fan of the Jedi force lore aspect of star Wars. You tend to really gravitate to droids and um, like the soldier stories. Um, so be, be, before I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I mean, what, what aspect of star Wars do you find yourself typically gravitating to just so folks know, um, you know, what flavor of star Wars is your favorite. And cause I think that's important to know before talking about why you love this book so much. That's true. I, my, you know, my go-to Star Wars movie tends to be Rogue One, uh, which is, you know, the movie with just one lightsaber in it. <laughs> just, you know, it does have a lot of force content, but I'm really interested in, in the stories of the regular people in the, in the galaxy. So I, you know, I, of course, I love the, the hero stories as well, but I'm always interested in, you know, what's that guy in the background doing? You know, I follow, I look up all the small characters uh, I like playing the role-playing game because it's like a way to make up my own stories in the galaxy that are unheard. So I, it's, it's really the little stories that attract me. Um, and uh, I think this this book kind of is a, is um, a little sort compared to uh, Light of the Jedi, you know, which is like the mm. sprawling epic. This is just, this is like one little incident and let's just go deep on four individuals. So um, it's definitely my kind of thing. Yeah, that's I, that's I appreciate like that perspective from you because I have been and I know you loved both the other High Republic books as well, and uh, you made a comment to Greg and I in our group text, you know, after Light of the Jedi came out about how you know these stories were kind of the the stories that you envisioned of Jedi when you were a kid because you grew up yes. with the original era, you grew up seeing the first you know three movies on the big screen when you were young. Um, so I'm curious about that take, you know, th these stories were seen of the Jedi because it, it seemed like, especially in the prequel era, you know, you kind of, uh, dare I say, became kind of like 
I don't want to, I don't want to put words again into, into your experience, but, <laughs> you know, obviously the Jedi didn't right. per, per continue to be like a, a, a mainstay for you of the star Wars experience. Um, what do you think it is about this, this high Republic era of Jedi stories that's really appealing? Yeah. Well, what you say is right. I'm dating myself a little bit, but I remember uh, talking with my friends about just the thing, like a couple throwaway lines from uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, and we knew that they were Jedi Knights and that they, there was something called the Clone Wars. So we assumed it was the Jedi Knights fighting the clones, whatever those were. Um, and I really like we, Obi-Wan Kenobi was, we thought he was just like dressed like a guy in the desert. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was very shocking when the prequels come out that they're all dressed like, uh, <laughs> Tatooine hermits, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so in a way, like, um, going back to the high Republic, I'm like, yes, this is more like they, they seem actually seem a little bit like knights, even in some cases with some of the, with like the, the tabards they're wearing and, you know, the, that, that sort of thing. Um, so it, for me, it, it, it was, it was really, and I really like the fact that this is, I, I came to appreciate in a way this makes me appreciate the prequels some more. I mean, I, I, I have come to love the prequels partly through your influence, but, um, it makes me appreciate this more because the prequels are showing the Jedi at kind of a really bad time for them, of course. Right. And even, even before the prequels begin, the Jedi have sort of become this really rigid organization. That's not I like as appealing as I like it to be in some ways. And so this kind of re- says like, Oh, that's not all the Jedi were right. Like they, they were all, you know, in their history, they also, you know, had a period of time when they were kind of having this Renaissance. Uh, so, yeah, I, I very much love that part. I, I'm not usually a big force lore person, but um, this series has really gotten me into it some more. That makes me so happy because obviously that's, you know, my favorite part of Star Wars. And, you know, it's it's always fun to have conversations with you because we like such a different aspect of Star Wars. Um, and I know when High Republic was announced, uh, I was like, oh, finally, cool, like new stories about Jedi and the Force and stuff. And um and I was like, oh, I wonder how Ben's going to do with this. Um, <laughs> so it's just it's really exciting that you're you're enjoying it so much. Um, but that that all said, I feel like we've 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 established a, at least a tiny bit of, of your your flavor of Star Wars now. Um, and I think you're absolutely right that what Test of Courage is, especially compared to Light of the Jedi, which is this massive story and massive epic with a lot of characters. This is a story that follows you know, a very small group of characters and it's really just like this. It almost be like an episode of clone wars. If you think about it, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. it could have been maybe a couple episodes of clone wars, you know, it's own little mini arc, but um, it's really just this story of these characters who survive a disaster. Um, and it, you know, each book in the high Republic so far is dealing with the great disaster. Um, and here we have these characters, um, Imri, Honesty, Avon, and um, who am I forgetting? Oh, Vernestra. Vernestra. Right? Uh, kind of dealing with <laughs> the the tragedy of the great disaster. Um, so I, it, where do you want to start, Ben? I, w- I want you to kind of kick this off. Um, you've, you've done such incredible job of compiling like, these really great notes. Um, so I'm, I am excited to just follow your lead uh, for this one. 
<laughs> well, uh, I guess I would start with, um, like you said, it's, it, it even starts in a small part of the galaxy. So it's, it's like uh, the, the, Dalna, the Dalna sector. And in the Dalna sector, it starts on a, an outpost of that small outpost, <laughs> Fort Hyleep, <laughs> right? And, um, and it's interesting because it, the great disaster has already happened. So what we have kind of here is the small disaster. You know, it's, it's mm. a giant disaster for the people involved with it, obviously. But in, com- you know, in comparison, it's a smaller thing. Um, so I think that the place that I would, um, I would start is with Avon Staros. I think to me, she's sort of the, the heart of the story. Like she's the one who, it's funny cause she's not a very, like, she's not a very emotionally knowledgeable person, but, uh, but she's the one who's kind of easiest to relate to maybe because she has, she takes an outsider view of everything. Um, it's easier to like, you know, you're thinking the same things that she is like, she's, she's acting as if she doesn't have as much of a stake in this mm-hmm. when she really does. Um, so I thought that, you know, speaking of this, you know, not being what I expected from a, um, uh, article, you know, a, a book for younger audiences, the, the scene of the, um, the, the steady wing, uh, being destroyed was really pretty shocking. You know, it, it reminded me of the movie Titanic a little bit, right? Cause it's a luxury ship. It's all falling apart. Uh, and, and most of the people, the great majority of people don't survive, including, um, some of the, the adult characters who we've just, who we've just met. Um, did that surprise you too? Like that kind of like, how intense it was. I, I remember that yeah. there's a scene when they're flying away and, um, uh, it, it, I guess, uh, Imri, it can, can feel all of the people, you know, the, the last people from the ship die. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still just wrapping my head around. I love that analogy you made of, of how the, <laughs> the steady wing is like the Titanic. Um, so I, I'm just sitting here loving that, that analogy. Um, but yeah, it it is really shocking the the fact that these characters are all about to lose their essential uh, parental units. I'm um, not everyone. I mean, honesty and and Emery are about to lose their their parental units, um, yeah. and just the the and I think even coming at it from Vernestra's aspect too. She's a brand new Jedi Knight, the probably one of the youngest Jedi Knights in the history of the order, right? She's only 16 years old and right. watching all of this go down and being completely helpless. Um, I think that is exactly how children feel, how young people feel is when horrible things happen. Your ability to control that is very minimal. So the fact that the story kind of begins with with that reality that these that these young people are really reminded of a little bit of their, uh, their youthful, um, inabilities. Uh, I, I, I was definitely found very shocking. Um, and as they're flying off, um, are they in an, are they in like an escape craft? Is that right? Essentially? Uh, yeah. It's like a shuttle, I guess. Okay. Like a small shuttle or something. Yeah. Yeah. So as they're fleeing and, and, Obviously, part of the reason they're able to flee is because 
um, Master Douglas, which I will say that's the only thing I didn't like in the story. I'm not a fan of a Jedi named Douglas. It just felt weird to me, but that's fine. Like it's, it's cool. It's fine. I just thought it was weird. Um, but Master Doug Sunvale. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because he calls her Vern, so I kept like waiting for her to call her Doug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this week on Doug, Doug Funny. Um, but yeah, you know, so obviously he kind of gives his life to make sure that they're able to escape. Typical Star Wars trope, right there. A Jedi, mm-hmm. you know, a Jedi Master kind of giving of himself to to protect the the innocents. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really shocking to watch all of that go down, um, and the way in which it begins and the way in which it kind of reduces these characters, um, and really shakes essentially their, their faith, uh, is certainly, especially Emery, it really shakes his faith in himself as well as in the force. Um, and, and I think it's interesting that you kind of start the conversation with Avon because Avon is a somewhat unique character in the sense that she – I almost get the sense and, – and I'd love to see what you think about this, Ben. But I almost get the sense that Avon is meant to be a character somewhat possibly on the spectrum. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I her kind of her, her, her emotional knowledge is very, very um, low. Um, and, and I don't say that as a judgment, right? She's, she's obviously a very techie character, a very um, – math and science type character. Um, so, you know, her, her, her kind of emotional understanding, um, is, is a little bit of a challenge for her. Um, I I think an interesting thing with that is she, that it, it comes up, uh, in the book that, that she's sort of a, she's a survivor of a pretty traumatic event in which she was kidnapped. Um, from uh from her home on Hosnian Prime. Uh and then her uncles found her, uh rescued her and killed all of the kidnappers while she was there. It it, it you know, she it, there's several times in the book where she starts thinking about it and then has to block it out. Mm. And that, you know, so I think there's kind of an aspect also of where she's she's blocking out her emotions, you know, uh on purpose. But I I I thought that was a in a way she's i think her character goes from that kind of very closed off state where she feels all alone she feels like her mother's rejected her and everything um to watching other people go through uh recovering from a trauma and it in a way sort of seems to help her recover as well like at the end she and uh and honesty um hug and call each other friends and everything. And it, it seems like a big step uh, for her. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think I read all the signals wrong. <laughs> um, that's the greatness about having conversations. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I, I always forget about that, that, that traumatic kidnapping she experienced. And she, I mean, she's only 11 now in the story, you know, so right. they, how does a child make sense of that experience? Um, and how do they live that out? Um, so yeah, that's really interesting because, and it, it actually kind of maybe adds to the reality that of course Avon is so, um, drawn to and attracted to and gifted at the kind of math and science realm because things are so objective there, right? Things are yeah. right and wrong. Yeah. Um, and I think for Avon, that is something that's really helpful for her 
to to deal with the world is to be able to have those absolutes to be able to have those uh, more objective realities to to wrestle with as opposed to <laughs> you know having to deal with the emotional subjective reality you know something that didn't occur to me until we're talking about now but her her uh, droid companion um j6 she's modified her programming she's modified her droid to start having emotions <laughs> you know yeah. like her her droid starts experience things and have and be you know going through things like uh uh, anger and self-reflection and stuff. So it's very interesting that she's got this problem and she's kind of given this gift to her droid to be able to like self-actualize as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that aspect of star Wars, this idea of droids being self-aware really comes from solo, right? L3 really led the charge mm-hmm. on, on can, can droids be, self-aware and what would that mean so it's neat to have them take that concept that's been introduced now in the the star wars mythos and bring it into this story um yeah Uh, so yeah uh, so i mentioned honesty who she becomes friends with i i think um honesty was interesting i he's 12 i happen to have a, a 12 year old son myself um, so I really kind of felt the stuff he's going through. Um, and he talked, you know, he, it's very frank about talking about loss and things, you know, he regrets his relationship with his father. Uh, I can definitely, you know, connect with that as well. Um, and it, it, I really felt it thinking about, you know, how he didn't end things. He didn't have a chance to end things in a good way. And so it's like, he it had, it takes him a while for him to, keep reflecting on he keeps reflecting on his father thinking what his father would would say um and that's kind of part of his his path i there's this great quote that i liked where um he's remembering his father and his father would say if you judge someone by your expectations instead of their actions you'll always be disappointed and um i think that 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 that's kind of a, a theme of the book a little bit especially for honesty in that he, he really, like, you have expect, like, he has expect, a lot of these characters have expectations for themselves that aren't met, but their actual, but if you look at their actions, uh, they actually reflect them pretty well, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. for honesty, he has this expectation of himself. He's going to be like a, a soldier and a combat medic. And, um, it, it, it really doesn't seem like that's him, you know, when you, <laughs> but his, his, the actual things he does, you know, he, he's the one who, uh, has a role in saving them because he helps them find water. Uh, he tries to talk, uh, sensing to people. He, it, he actually is a, is a very good, a very good person, even though he's not meeting, he's, he's not like meeting his own expectation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. I, I, that's just a great quote in general, <laughs> um, that his yeah. father gives. Um, yeah, I th- what I enjoy so much about Honesty too, um, also an interesting character name as well, Honesty and Douglas. I was just like, huh, interesting character <laughs> choice names. Um, but uh, I made up a story about Honesty's name that 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 somehow in their culture or something they give people that kind of like a a quality. <laughs> Though I don't, they don't, they don't tell us his father's name, but I don't know. That, that was my rationalization. Honesty's father's name is Perseverance. Um, <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. 
Um, but I, I really enjoyed Honesty's character as, um, uh, oh my gosh, I, my mind just totally went blank. I'm sorry. Um, uh, oh, I love how Honesty is such a homebody. Uh, that was something <laughs> he, so he's a 12 year old character. When I was 12 years old, I was such a homebody. I hated leaving my house. Whenever we went on vacation, even if it was somewhere I wanted to go, if we were gone more than two days, I was like, I want to go home. Where's my room? Like I I was such a homebody. So I really identified with that part of honesty. And the other thing I like is I I, I think to some degree, you know, uh, honesty being a homebody in part is his, you know, his fear of adventure, his fear of the unknown, Um, you know, and I think what I also really like about him is he clearly really uh, respects the culture in which he grew he grew up on. So uh, mm-hmm. the planet is Dalna, right? Is that how you say it? Yep. I think um, so. He's waiting to do this uh, rite of metamorphosis, um, and and I love that. Again, like this, these are the parts of Star Wars that I always love. Is is you know, expanding some sort of mythos, but this is such like a, a cultural norm. So many, um, cultures have rites of passage, have these, um, you know, rituals through which you go, um, in order to show your entrance into adulthood, obviously, right? Like the Jewish faith has the bar mitzvah, Mm -hmm. um, Christianity has confirmation. Um, you know, so there's so many rituals within our own milieu, that are kind of this entrance into adulthood and, and honesty is waiting to take his metamorphosis to, um, and it sounds like Dalna is a bit of a, a, a warrior culture to a degree. Um, so yep. he's getting really excited to, you know, take this test and to, to prove himself, to prove himself to his father. Um, and, and I like that that's kind of a starting point for his character. So he's really annoyed that this having to go with his father on this, you know, this ambassador trip has him kind of peeved because it's interrupting this really sacred ritual, um, from his culture. Yeah. I, it's quite, I, we were talking about, I reading it, uh, kind of catching up before this, I, I looked at the very end of the book again and I'd kind of missed it before, but, um, at the, uh, right at the end, the, the, uh, Kara Ksu, the, the like, uh, Corin Nihil commander, her plan is to go raid schools on Dalma and steal children to reinforce the ranks of her um, Nihil storm. Mm. Uh, I thought that was interesting. I mean, we know that they're a bit of a warrior culture. We know they haven't actually experienced war for a long time, but I, I, I know that there's going to be like further books with these characters. I thought it was a like interesting setup for what, you know, what could happen with uh, honesty in the future. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, go ahead. I, I think one of my, my favorite parts of the book, which is, is actually a, a, a force thing, if you don't mind switching topics Ooh, a little bit. Of course. Um, the relationship, uh, the evolution between, of the relationship between Imri and Vernestra is uh, really interesting to me. Um, you, we've seen that fall to the dark side, like a classic fall to the dark side with Anakin, of course. And, this one is so different. Um, it's Imri's. It's much faster, right? There's that, but Imri is. Um, he's. 
he's an empath, which I thought was really uh, like, you know, we've, we've seen that with stutters before he, he, you know, his life detection guides them. He, um, he seems to have a little bit of a power to like emo- uh, change people's emotions or maybe he's just aware of them. Like he's convinces uh, Vern to go to, to, uh, to sleep by like making her feel at ease or something they say. Um, but then when he, he's got all this, he's got all this anger that's been building up about uh, the death of, of Douglas uh, and he, he, he feeds off of, um, honesty's anger. Like he, he feels honesty's anger very rawly and that sort of becomes entry to the forest. Then as he starts going to the dark side, it's like his own anger isn't enough to feed him. Like, I think he's basically a good person. Right. Uh, and he, he says like, he's like, I need your anger, honesty, honesty, ha- he makes honesty go with him. And he, there's a part of it. It makes it is honesty almost becomes angry because Emery's like uh, using it. Like it's like they need, they're like teenage boys who need to like reinforce each other. If they're going to do this thing, the stupid thing, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> they both need to be there being stupid together. Like he, like it's, it's really uh, cool to me how, how he does that. Um, and then Vernestra by contrast is like, is very, is like a, a very like, like steady, reliable character. Um, I, I put it like I, I thought of like um, I don't know like like some like some superheroes, right? Like she she's got this remarkable abilities. Like she's the the youngest one ever to become a Jedi ma- a Jedi Master. Um, Jedi Knight. She's not a master. Jedi Knight. Jedi Knight. Or sorry, Jedi Knight. Yeah. Um, but it's hard work, right? Yeah. She she's there's a couple times in this where she becomes so exhausted that she starts falling asleep like, uh, like Grogu in, in Mandalorian. <laughs> uh, she, she's, she gets knocked unconscious, uh, twice by, by, uh, by that, not knocked unconscious, but she has to, she has to sleep. She can't stay awake twice because of that. Um, she wants so hard to like do the right thing that that's what she does. And she's successful. Um, but she's got this at the line at the end. She's like recognizing our mistakes and doing better is the path of the Jedi. And so there's, there's really no question for her that she forgives Imri. I mean, Imri tried to kill her mm-hmm. or came very close to trying to kill her. Um, and definitely, you know, he force choked uh, one of the, the hill. Um, but she like, Unlike, I kind of feel like, unlike you would have seen with the later Jedi, it, like it wasn't a question. She's like, you made a mistake. Mistakes happen. And we're going to like, you're going to grow from this. And, and, you know, ends up becoming um, his, uh, his teacher. So I don't know. I thought that part was, was a really interesting and a kind of relationship between them is pretty cool. Yeah. And especially because they're only two years apart. And she's already a knight and he's still, uh, you know, a Padawan. Um, and there's that element of, of jealousy at certain points um, kind of, you know, towards the beginning and middle of the book where Emery is, you know, almost annoyed at her, at her just the reality that she is a knight but also her ability to stay so calm and so centered and seemingly so unfazed by what has happened. Um, and I think that that's a really great, uh, you know, character point between these two is the fact that um 
you know, she, she seems to be what he wishes he could be, um, in some ways. And, you know, I think, uh, for, for, for high strung people, when something kind of tragic happens or something kind of chaotic happens and you feel that chaos and you're just feeling lost in the chaos and you see somebody else who's just kind of like, it's going to be all right. It's fine. You, you kind of just like, shut up. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, like you almost get a little annoyed by that, that mentality. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that going on for Emery at certain points between him and Vernestra. Um, but you know, I, I, what I also appreciate about his relationship also to honesty is, is these are two characters, the, both of them are grieving the loss of, uh, you know, a father figure. Mm. I mean, literally honesty loses his father and Emery essentially loses his father figure because master Douglas dies. Um, and I think that there's a specific bond that forms between them because of that. And as Mm. Emery is getting angrier towards the end of the book, um, you know, kind of like you said, he, he tells honesty, you know, you know, give, give into that anger. Let me, I need you. I need that anger. Let me use it. Um, and it, you know, it takes him down this really dark path. And, and I think what's intriguing about Emery's character, kind of like you were alluding to Ben is, you know, we've, we've got obviously the classic story of Anakin Skywalker and his fall to the dark side. Um, and it is this big Epic thing, but with Emery, I feel like it's just even more human. You know, I think something I do like about the prequel trilogy is ultimately Anakin falls to the dark side because of somebody he falls in love with. And I I think that's very human. Um, But all the ins and outs of it, you know, tend to be kind of this grandiose, epic scenario. Emery, it's Mm -hmm. just like the realities of life that can chip away at you. Um, And kind of what that despair and what that sadness can can turn you into, um, I think, is what kind of starts to break Emery down. Um, he is, he's really looking, um, again, like kind of what I was saying earlier is he's looking for a way to control the situation that is in some ways uncontrollable. Um, and I think that, 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 that dark side that starts to creep into him, ultimately the temptation is, is, oh, I can give you answers. I can give you that solid ground to stand on. It's, it's a, yeah, I, it's a shortcut, right? Like the, the, the dark side's always a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. I, as you were talking, I, the, the thing that came to mind is um, he is very uncertain for most of the, most of the book. And he describes his past as being, you know, so like slower to learn than the other Padawans and only, uh, only master Douglas like recognized his uh, potential and was patient with him and would, you know, do things over and over again. And even his lightsaber hasn't worked very well. And when he s- starts to feel the anger, I think he, it appeals to him because it gives him certainty. It's an easy mm-hmm. answer. Mm-hmm. Like everything else, like it's, he struggles with like trying to uh, un- like figure out the right thing to do and understand what's what, what to do. Once he becomes angry, it's, he doesn't have to question that anymore. His lightsaber starts working better as well. Um, and it's, I, I don't know. I thought, I thought that was interesting. I thought it's the certainty that he, that he wants. And, and I think Renestra at the end, I can't, I don't have the exact quote, but she says something like, um, the fact that you are like open and willing to change is what's going to make you a, a great Jedi. So it's almost like 
the way he is for most of the book where he's just like like open and be and experiencing what he's doing and and trying to figure out what's right that's the stuff that's going to make him great he's not someone who you know makes assumptions usually it just kind of fell down that path at one point Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um when you know it has me thinking about how how these characters are going to try to find some sense of grounding you know they when they when they wind up on this planet um you know uh the weavos the weavo system or weavo planet whatever the heck that is um (laughs) it's a very uh violent planet acid rain yeah. <laughs> you know right. i mean all sorts of trials and tribulations that these young characters have to uh get get through um and you know honesty is or not honesty excuse me emory is really quite essential for helping them find safe spots because of some of his abilities um and yeah i i I think so he much. He finds the planet, even right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. You're right. Yeah. He finds the planet itself. Um. So, um. Yeah, you know. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna change gears here because I don't know what else I was gonna say about that. Um. But I want to just go back to something about um. Uh. Oh my gosh, I'm really struggling here. Um. About Avon. Avon. Uh. As kind of this scientific character. Um, I think something I, I really enjoy about her is the fact that, um, she's a, as a very scientific character, she knows the force exists. She understands that it's real. She sees the Jedi use it obviously down here on the planet, but she is so curious about it. She's so curious about what is this mysterious thing that seems to kind of, exist outside of the empiricism of my math and science. Um, and I, I love that this theme kind of is sprinkled throughout this story um, because a character like Avon, I mean, I obviously know lots of folks like that in, in my life that don't necessarily discount like a spiritual reality or some sort of, uh, you know, benefit to religious existence but they just don't quite get it. Um, and I think that starts with the fact that your way of understanding things through way of understanding truth, quote unquote, is just different than understanding these things that exist outside those reality. And for Avon, the way that I feel like it's, it's really made, uh, you know, it's really fleshed out in the story is her kind of obsession with Kyber crystals. Uh, she mm-hmm. really wants to do more research with Kybers and, um, you know, you, you put a quote in the notes. Um, so this was the work you did. So I'm, I'm stealing from you here, but it says the Jedi's Kyber crystals were a near limitless energy source and the possible applications were endless. It made no sense that they had been exploited. They had not been exploited by more than just the Jedi. Um, so, you know, I, I love that for Avon, the ability to, to get a Kyber, to research it, to understand it a little bit more might help her better understand in her way of understanding what the force might be. Um, I wonder the fact that that quote jumped out to you specifically, Ben, I, I know as, as a huge director Krennic fan, yes, I'm curious. I totally heard that in director Krennic's voice. <laughs> that was only an inkling of its destructive potential. <laughs> like, yes, she's going to join. Uh, she's going to join the initiative. 
It'd be great because obviously we're going to continue to explore these characters in future stories. If Avon ends up getting with a somebody with the last name Krennic, and she's the the forebearer of Director Krennic. (laughs) I want I want Galen Erso to have like referenced one of her uh, one of her articles while he was trying to figure out how to unlock the Kyber Crystal or something. (laughs) Oh, that'd be so great. Yeah. Um, But yeah, and I, she steals the she steals Emery's broken saber at the end, right? Which I, so she's got her hands on some possibly broken, but she's got her hands on a kyber crystal now. So who knows what she'll do? <laughs> right, right, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, my goodness, I feel like we haven't talked enough about Vernestra though. Um, and I know that's interesting. I very much like her character. And but the fact that she is in some ways less conflicted, she's got a conflict. This is her first mission. She's trying to find her feet, but she's so competent. She's so hardworking that it's it's in a way it's it's hard. She doesn't have as much conflict because she knows she kind of knows what to do more than anybody else in the situation does, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so I often had a hard time. Like uh, I have a hard time also just like like in a way connecting with her story because she's so good. <laughs> the, the way someone who like passed their Jedi trials at 16 would have to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point because she does have the least amount of a character arc, you know, the character arcs, the strongest arcs are really the other three characters. Um, and uh, yeah, she is kind of, and I think what I appreciate about that though is that the fact that she is the steadfast character in the midst of all this turmoil and yet she's st- still only like a few years older than all the other characters. I think that that's somewhat probably intentional by Justina, you know, in, in writing this character yeah. into the story is, you know, young people often feel listless in these experiences. And yet you see another young person who's, who's still finding grounding and moving ahead and, all right, well, here's what we need to do next. Here's what we need to do next. Um, so Vernestra is kind of like, in a lot of ways, a really great role model for the other three characters as well. Um, it, the, the the fact that she is constantly standing on that solid ground. Um, and this is just a, a side note, but one of I thought was really cool is the fact that Vernestra has a setting on her lightsaber that can turn it into a light whip. Um, yes, <laughs> that is awesome. really, really cool. I've been slowly on the side reading, um, the legacy of the force EU series, um, which brings back the character Lumaya and Lumaya was the first character in the legends canon to ever use a light whip. Um, so it was really cool to see, uh, that in this story and also that the light whip wasn't just a tool of the Sith, um, that Jedi could use it as well. I thought it was interesting. They, um, uh, <clears throat> Avon points out that that's night sister technology. Yeah. Uh, and I thought at first off, I, I cool. What are the night sisters doing at this point? I want to know, <laughs> but, but, um, I, you know, Renesta herself was worried that it, you know, she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to reveal the light whip, uh, as, in particular to Imri, because she's worried it will make people think that she's kind of, um, been touched by the dark side. Maybe she's even worried about that a little bit. Like it, says that she wakes up in the, in the night with like the forest guiding her and she stays up all night until she's turned her, <clears throat> given her lightsaber, the ability to turn into a light whip. 
um, it's very interesting. Like trying to unlock that, that what that all means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's a purple yeah. one. It's yeah. purple also. Right. <laughs> if it wasn't badass enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, boy, uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the story kind of comes to its head then at the end, because there are, uh, obviously the Nile, the Nile are featured in every single one of the high Republic stories, um, obviously in a very big way in light of the Jedi, um, with Marky on row and getting a bit about him, but similar to into the dark, we, we have a, a small crew of two people from the Nile in this story. <laughs> and, the Nile really, to me, in, in every single story, they do represent chaos. Um, that's how they, they, they thrive in the chaos. They create chaos so that they can pillage at their, you know, at their own discretion. Um, and as we have these, you know, young characters surviving this hostile planet, they finally find a ship because they obviously need a ship or communications to get off, off Wevo. When they find the Nile, um, just their own reactions to the Nile, I think, are very interesting. Because um, obviously, like you said, you know, Imri mm. is going to harbor tremendous anger at them. Um, yeah. For him, he's going to hold these two Nile characters. Um, well, I guess they are. I mean, they are directly responsible. They were the ones that were on um, yep. the ship and, and planted the bombs. Um, but for Imri he really does want to seek vengeance on them and he kind of feeds honesty with that too, you know, and, and feeds honesty's right. Honesty wanting to do the metamorphosis is because he wants to become a warrior. He wants to become part of his warrior culture. So Emery kind of stokes those flames by saying, Hey, these are the ones that, that killed our parents. Let's go get them. Right. Yeah. I, the, they were a little bit of, um, a weak spot for the book for me. I, uh, I kind of liked the, the Nile character in the introduction, um, but it's pretty hard to understand their motivations. Mm. Um, in some ways, it was a bit it was a bit easier. Like a, you know, he was able to go into uh, Charles Sewell was able to go into it a bit more. Of course, uh, there's very little. There's, they're only in a couple scenes in this, but um, they do such a terrible thing uh, with with very little remorse, if any. And it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to get like I don't I don't have to connect with every villain I know but I like I don't know I thought I thought that was um that was something that was a, a hard part of the book for me yeah that's fair and I mean I think kind of like I was saying I, I I didn't particularly love those two characters either I felt like they were just there to be the antagonists plain and simple mm-hmm. you know they're just the ones that are there who uh, are responsible for all of the conflict and uh, emotional trauma that our characters are working through. So it's interesting to see, you know, how, how the characters choose to respond to them. Um, so especially Emery and honesty, they choose to <laughs> act out that anger and go after them. An interesting thing with the Niles, they're, 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 they're all about, chaos when they're dealing with everybody else but amongst themselves they're so hierarchical <laughs> you know yeah. like that it's yeah. a very specific system of how it all works and, yeah. and everybody 
obeys to the one above them. Maybe it's just it, partly it's a power thing, right? Yeah, you obey the more powerful ones. But um, I don't know. I think that's that's just an interesting like detail with them, like contradiction with them that they can use. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, one thing uh, one thing that really stood out to me in the book, probably one of my favorite parts of the book, and um, obviously I read this book a couple of weeks ago now, so I. I I, I annoyed that it's not more fresh in my head. So I feel bad that it, um, <laughs> I'm not probably bringing more to the conversation. Um, but I think one of the things that stood out the most to me is when I was reading the book and, you know, kind of towards the beginning of the book as they're kind of making their way to Wevo and they're kind of all sitting together and they're having to deal with this, this trauma. Um, you have this great moment where, Emery and honesty are talking about, you know, what has happened. And, and, and Emery kind of indicates that, you know, everyone on that ship is dead and it kind of crushes honesty. Cause he's, he's still holding onto this sliver of hope that somehow his father made it out alive. And he feels so crushed that Emery is basically saying no. And, and Avon's quick to jump in. She's like, well, he's a Jedi. He can sense it. They're all dead, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and it just kind of crushes honesty spirits even more. But then there's this really great moment where Avon becomes aware of he's feeling lost. And she just looks at him and says, I'm sorry. And when I was reading it, and this is obviously like some, some personal information right now, but um, I mean, I shared this on our Twitter a couple of weeks ago, but as I was reading this story, my, my cousin's husband was battling with COVID and he ended up losing that battle. He, he passed away from COVID a few, a few weeks ago and he wasn't very old. And my cousin is my age and, and mm. I'm not particularly close to this cousin, but um, you know, I can't imagine losing my partner so early in life. You know, I have, I have a wonderful partner right now. She's great. And, you know, we've been together for only a little while, but just the, that empathy of, you know, feeling for my cousin, like, wow, what would it be like to lose your partner just all of a sudden like that? And, you know, again, he wasn't old at all. <laughs> and, yep. and that moment really stood out to me and, and it brought tears to my eyes and yes, because of my own personal experience as I was reading it, but it was just like, it was this beautiful moment where, especially with Avon, who is the, what we're, you know, kind of talking about is this less emotionally aware character, even in that moment is able to understand what it would be like to lose someone you really love. Um, you know, and, and I think that moment right there just proved to me, like, this is really good storytelling because you really care about these characters and you really care about what they lost. Um, it makes you really feel the impact and, um, be able to relate to that. Like, what would it be like if you just lost somebody right now? Like, wow, that really hurts. Um, and, and honesty ends up finding, through these other people, people that can hold him in that. I uh, just was look, looking at opening the book and looking at that part a little bit. And it's really interesting that she, she says, she does, she says that to, um, to honesty. And then she turns to Imri and says, uh, I'm sorry about your father as well, mm -hmm. because she doesn't know, you know, she doesn't know how that Padawan master thing works. Um, I think that's, that, that is really interesting. Like, and, and maybe part of that, part of it is like, there is a little bit of that stuff where like Jedi's <laughs> even back then are not always, don't always, the expectations on them are, are too high about being un, like unemotional, Yeah. but he's going through the same thing, but he's not, he, he, 
not kind of allowed to say or, or, or doesn't like, it's not, can't acknowledge in the same way that he lost his father, even though that's basically what he, what he, he did, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, this part of that part of the book's very intense. I, I think it's a good thing with, um, you know, literature for younger people, because they have to deal with these things, of course, all the time. Um, and I, th- I thought it was very honest. Like, I, I also um, thought about some of those things. I thought about if, if, it had ha- if, if my kids were kind of in that situation. I thought about losing my own father. It, it, I thought it, re- it really did connect. There's a part where, also, again, Avon, uh, <laughs> I think in a later chapter, you know, she starts talking about it again and, and Vernestra's maybe like, we stop, like, stop bringing this up or whatever. And she's like, well, I read this psychological study, blah, 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 that says, you know, it's very important to talk about your emotions. <laughs> <laughs> and she's, it's funny, she's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, She's right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what's really interesting about this book as a whole, too, is it's it's not really full of, except for the very beginning and a little bit of the ending, there's not a tremendous amount of action, right? The, mm-hmm. the majority of the conflict are within the characters and their own, you know, their ways of resolving that, which I found really interesting for a middle grade book, right? You know, I, I would have assumed that, you know, if this is being targeted for like, you know, kids between the ages of 12 and 15, whatever, I'm not exactly sure what middle grade is for, but, um, you would think there'd be a lot more lightsabers and, you know, battles and stuff like that. And the fact that that wasn't there, I thought was just really interesting. Now I loved it personally. I'm curious though, Ben, did either of your, either of your boys read those story or, um, have any reactions to it? Uh, <laughs> no, not really. My, um, my younger son did, uh, did try reading it, but he didn't, I have to admit, he didn't get, uh, super drawn into it mm. um but i have to admit i they are very much uh like read they, they'll read they read manga i actually told them there's going to be um a manga version of some of the stories coming out and he's much more excited about that because that's like the, the medium that he prefers for for reading books so i i think he'll probably get into that i i wish he was he's kind of past the age where I can read him the book. Sure. I would have yeah. really liked that. Like a cut just a couple years ago. Yeah. Now, yeah. now I'm a little emotional cause that part's over, <laughs> <laughs> but I would have really liked to read him this book a couple years ago and, and have the opportunity to talk about some other difficult things that are in it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause I mean, and I do think, you know, your youngest is probably just below the age range. I think that the book is written for, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Uh, but it, you know, your older son, it's probably just a little below his, his age yes. range. Yeah. But I think because we're yeah. adults, like we can just re- read this regardless of who its audience is and be like, this is just a fun star Wars story. Um, right. but yeah, I mean, it, I, I just think, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's so honest with dealing with the pain of loss. Um, and, and it's something I really appreciate that is addressed in this is sp- between, you know, Imri and even a little bit with, with Vern is what is a Jedi supposed to 
how is a Jedi supposed to feel or not feel in these circumstances? And that's that's a theme. So I'm I'm currently f- finishing up rereading Into the Dark because we're going to discuss that one next week. Um, and that's a huge theme among the Jedi character, a couple of the Jedi character in that story, which is, you know, this whole idea of Jedi being kind of detached and, and sometimes a little too detached and what the detriments of that could be. But I think that this story itself also kind of introduces that theme and, and starts to at least get you thinking about, huh, you know, this is, this is obviously 200 years before Phantom Menace, but maybe this is the, the, the way the Jedi are starting to, to kind of bend their resolve, the way they're choosing to be this dogmatic organization is going to start taking them down the wrong path. That's a great point. I think that's actually something Vernestra learns in this um, because she's, she's not paying it. She, she knows something's going on with honesty. I'm not sorry with, uh, I'm like, doing the same mistake <laughs> with, um, with Imri, but she doesn't deal with it. And I think that she, I think she realizes that's her mistake. I think she blames herself a little bit, uh, takes responsibility a little bit for what happens to Imri. Um, and, and there is, I think there is some of that, like she's learning, like, okay, we have, like, we have to actually think about how to like w- w- feel things and understand what other people are feeling, which is obviously, it's interesting. Like that, that is Imri's gift, but um, she's realizing she didn't do that enough for him. Right. Yeah. I look forward to listening to that, uh, your take on that. I think that I hadn't thought about that, but it is a kind of a big theme with that next book as well. Yeah, it really is. Um, so, you know, uh, are there any, like, f- anything you feel like, I mean, obviously, again, we didn't go through the story plot by plot because that wasn't the point, but is there anything else you wanted to bring up or anything else about this book that kind of stands out to you um, be- before we wrap things up? Uh, I, not really, I've loved the planet. I, I took down lots, lots of, like, uh, notes about you know the the wildlife on the planet and the descriptions of the plants and stuff i thought that was uh really vivid and cool and would be a good role-playing game setting <laughs> <laughs> um so I, I think she's i think i like the way that she builds uh details in the world instead of it being a big giant world she's got a few little sp- locations and each of them um you know it kind of spoke to me both i think the two main ones being the planet and the and the starship where uh were very nicely like described and laid out and I want to, I want to go there and see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the, the one, I guess the last thing I, I want to just say is, um, and you know, you kind of already said it, but right. The story obviously ends with Ver- Vernestra taking Emery on as her Padawan, which I think is really interesting because there's a two year age gap between the two of them. Um, yes. For her to take him on as her first Padawan as someone who's, coming right out of a traumatic experience. I, I just, I'm just really curious to see how that relationship is going to progress. I mean, he literally tries to kill her at the end of the book. Um, you know, he's kind of lost in the dark side as, as that's happening, but you know, um, she also kind of just, she takes care of him with no problem at all, which I, which I really <laughs> yeah, enjoyed because I, I do. It, it just made me think of that question. Luke asked Yoda and Empire Strikes Back. Is the dark side stronger? No, no. You know, like Yoda's so quick to say no. And I felt like this was a perfect example of that, right? It's quicker, more seductive. So Imri is quick and impulsive and angry, but like 
Vernestra is just so grounded and centered in the light that she's just like, I got this. And not only that, even when it's over, it's so easy for her to forgive and not only forgive, but to offer him an opportunity to grow with her. Um, I thought that was a really cool way for, for their stories to end, um, bringing them together like that. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And also I, I, they did point out that light whips were used, were designed to fight against the Sith. So (laughs) they're really good for fighting against dark side opponents, I guess. (laughs) She knew what was up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She was ready for it. Um, so cool. Well, is there anything else, Ben, that you want to, you want to hit on, on this or, or should we wrap it up? No, I I think we're going to wrap up. It's a, it's a great little story. And, um, I think we, I think we, we, uh, we didn't cover everything of course, but we, we covered uh, some interesting stuff. I think so too. And, and I appreciate all the work you put into this because <laughs> I put very little in. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if, if you, if you listen through this whole thing and you haven't read the book still, I feel like we've, while we gave away some big things, I would still really recommend reading the book. It's so fun and it's a very fast read. Um, so if, if you've not yet read the book and you're at this point, um, I, I really, really encourage you to, to, to pick it up. Um, so that being said, um, this week we were supposed to put out a new episode of Tales of the Larians. And unfortunately, uh, the guest that I had lined up um, had a bit of a, a medical crisis. So unfortunately, she couldn't be with us this week. So we'll get her on at a later date. Um, but I was <laughs> it was very serendipitous because. Ben, Ben and I were going to record this episode about test of courage regardless. So I was like, well, this is perfect. I can just put this out this week. So that, that said, Ben, I'm just so appreciative that you were available this week and not only available, but so well prepared to talk about this book because this was a lot of fun. I'm glad it worked out. I'll be ready for the, uh, Orson Krennic episode. Please tell me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's, that's what I need to have you on for because that's your boy. Um, <laughs> So be, before I wrap things up, uh, Ben, uh, you, you're, you know, relatively involved on the, in the Twitter world. You've got your own really cool, uh, drawings going on and you've got really great t-shirts that you designed. So if folks want to like hear about what you're up to in the star Wars world and, and specifically about the, the t-shirts that you're selling and, and the charity that they support, where can they do all of that? Uh, thanks. I'm, um, Zen Kenobi on Twitter and uh, on on Instagram, where I don't spend as much time, but I, that's where I'll post things like the new illustrations I do. Um, that is uh, Gonk Squadron, so um, you can you can look up Gonk Squadron as well on um, T Public. The most popular illustration is definitely my Kenner Gonk Droid, um, <laughs> and all I I I do it. Both both my um, my family was built through adoption, and all of the uh, the, the proceeds um, that the money that I make, which, you know, is it, it, it's it's, all the money that I make is given to the Massachusetts adoption resource exchange um, to, to help them, you know, find permanent homes for, for kids who are in foster care. So um, I'd love it if you checked it out. And if you like it, um, it'll support a good cause as well. Yeah. I, I love that you do that with, with the proceeds and your illustrations are so cool. I mean, obviously I have a gong shirt. I have one of your Mandalorian shirts, which sadly doesn't exist in the store anymore, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> damn licensing. <laughs> um, but you just put yeah. out a really great, uh, 
um, Camtono. Is that how you say that word? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and I love that you got it made into like obviously right T public. It's not just T-shirts. You can get stickers, magnets, um, posters, or in your case with your Camtono, you had it made into a really cool like um, travel bag, tote bag, tote yeah. bag. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so yeah. I can take it. To the I can't wait store. to go to the store and yeah, fill my Camtono with ice cream. It's gonna be good, <laughs> <laughs> just like Will <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time and, and, and putting in the work to, to make, make this conversation so great. Um, next week, we'll be back with uh, a conversation about the, the final book in the current run of The High Republic. We'll be talking about Into the Dark. Um, and uh, also next week, we'll, we'll be talking about the, the results of last week's poll where we asked all of you to tell us your favorite force power. So be sure to tell us what your favorite force power is um, before next week's episode. And uh, you can, of course, do that. You can find us on Twitter at Wampas Lair. Um, we, you can email us at Wampas Lair Podcast at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at the underscore Wampas Lair. And you can find us on Facebook at Wampas Lair Podcast. So be sure to let us know what your favorite force power is so we can share those next week on the show. Um, as we talk about Into the Dark, the final book of this first leg of run for the, the High Republic era. So um, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us for this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast, A Test of Courage. For Ben, I'm Carl, and we will see you next time here in the Wampas Lair. Mm-hmm.